This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion, one verse at a time. Welcome to another episode of the One Verse Podcast. I am Jeremy Myers. We're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 3 today, the whole chapter. Usually I save my summaries of the chapter until the end, and we will probably do that when we finish with Genesis chapter 3 as well. But today, just to sort of prepare us at the scene for Genesis chapter 3, I wanted to do an introduction to Genesis chapter 3. And what I'm going to do is sort of give an overview of the chapter, the way the chapter is traditionally taught. And I have no issue with the traditional way that chapter 3 is usually taught. I've taught it that way myself in the past. I agree with many of the truths that is that are most often pulled from this chapter. But just, I sort of wanted to get all of the introductory stuff out of the way, give you a, a big picture overview of the chapter. And, uh, and then we, in future episodes, will look at some truths that are often neglected and overlooked from this chapter, which I think are the most significant truths from the chapter. So that will be future episodes. Before we get to that, uh, another review came in recently on iTunes, and so I want to make sure I read that. This one comes from SandL4597. I'm not sure who that is. Sandy, maybe? Who knows? Anyway, SandL4597 writes this. Too many times we hear a pastor that teaches and preaches, but never shares the why. This guy gets it. He tells us why verses were written the way they were, and why certain words were chosen. The historical context of the situation provides the listener with the background that enables us to step into the shoes of the first people hearing this story. I applaud this approach and hope that other pastors and teachers adopt this approach. Thank you so much for putting this together. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you very much for that review. It means an awful lot to me. And you get it too. You understand why I'm trying to teach the Bible the way I do, giving that historical cultural background. It really causes scripture to come to life, not just so that we can step into the shoes of the first hearers, but also so that we can better apply it to our own life today. And uh, so thank you for that wonderful review. Um, it, it means a lot. It's, it's great encouragement to me. If, if you sort of like this teaching, by the way, I, I also encourage you to subscribe to my theology podcast over at theology.fm. This coming week, I am publishing an interview I did there with Adam Erickson from the Raven Foundation. In my opinion, it's one of the most important interviews that I have done on Theology.fm so far. So uh, he he and I talk about mimetic theory, René Girard and his mimetic theory, which has revolutionized the way I read scripture, the way I view God, the way I interact with other people, the way I understand culture, and and, and just basically everything in life. So uh, get that Subscribe to Theology.fm. You can find it on iTunes or just go to Theology.fm. There's links there as well so that you can get this interview between myself and Adam Erickson. That will be next week. So the normal explanation of Genesis chapter 3. Now, again, I don't have really any issues with anything I'm going to say today. Uh, in fact, uh, about 15, 17, almost 20 years ago now, I guess, when I was a pastor, I preached through Genesis, 
And I went back just in preparation for this podcast to look at my notes from when I preached Genesis chapter 3. And a lot of what I'm going to share to do, share with you today was pulled from those notes. And I still agree with almost everything that I said back then. It's not on my website. Eventually, maybe I'll put that on there so you can go and see it for yourself. Um, but uh, 20 years ago, I, I didn't know some of the things that I know now. Obviously, that happens with all of us. And so I have a completely different take on Genesis 3 today than I did 20 years ago. Actually, a lot of what I've learned is probably just in the last five to seven years or so, so it's a lot different now than it was five to seven years ago. Um, I, I just think there's a lot of significant truths from Genesis 3 that most often that are most often missed. And I'm going to talk about a lot of those significant truths in future podcast episodes. So Today, we're just going to work our way quickly through Genesis chapter 3, the entire chapter, and I'm going to point out to you some of the ways that these verses, uh, this chapter, is traditionally taught. So, Genesis 1, for example, talks about the serpent being more crafty, and lots of people point out that this serpent is Satan, and they go to Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, and chapter 20, verse 2, to point that out. And uh, the point from Genesis chapter 3, initially, is that this serpent questions or challenges God's word. That is, of course, how Satan usually works and acts. He begins, his temptations often begin, by questioning and challenging what God has said. In verse 2, Eve, the woman, she's not called Eve yet, but I might refer to her that way because she's named Eve at the end of chapter 3, near the end. The woman tries to defend God's word by arguing or debating with the serpent. And that usually is not a wise thing to do. It's never good to get into debate with the devil. Uh, God's instructions typically need no defense. They, they just need to be followed and obeyed. Um, now, I know that uh, I, I'm sort of explaining. Sometimes we do need to understand them in more detail. And so we need, we need to be careful on how we apply that idea that God's word, God's instructions, God's commands need no defense or explanation. Sometimes they do. Sometimes we are incorrectly understanding and applying God's word. And so we do need to understand it. Just because someone's questions or challenges, the way you understand a particular text doesn't mean that person is speaking for the devil or anything like that. Uh, but that also is something that um, I've talked about a lot on my blog and I think sometimes on the Theology.fm podcast. In verse 3, then, what we have is something very interesting. In the, the woman's attempt to defend God's instruction, she actually ends up adding to it. You go back and look, and God only said in, in 2, 16 and 17 that they should not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But here, in verse 3, the woman says that they shouldn't eat it or even touch it. So she adds to God's word. And and the question then is, where did this come from? Is this something she came up with on her own, or is this something that Adam told her? Remember, Adam was the only one present in in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, when God gives that command to not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he is then supposed to pass on that teaching to others, so he likely passed on that teaching to Eve. And so, this idea about not touching it, is that something that Eve came up with, or is that something that Adam told her? Well, we don't really know, but regardless, what's going on here is a typical uh, thing that we often find in religion, uh, especially in Judaism. Genesis is a Jewish part of the Jewish uh, scriptures, of course. And it's this idea, this, this practice of fencing around the law. 
Uh, we do this all the time. You know, God says in the New Testament, don't get drunk. And so we make the law, okay, we don't get drunk, so therefore, let's make a law about not even drinking. Uh, that's called fencing around the law, adding a fence, an additional set of rules or regulations around the command that God actually wants us to obey so that we, you know, if we do the, if we do the fence, if we don't pass the fence, then obviously we won't, we won't break the law. Uh, God says, don't lust after a woman. So we sometimes make laws requiring women to wear baggy clothes, you know, uh, which aren't scriptural at all. But uh, we feel, some men feel anyway, that if women wear baggy clothes, that therefore they won't lust. And of course, we all know that's not true. But anyway, the Jewish law has 613 commandments, and they did this practice of fencing around the law quite a bit, so that their 613 commandments ended up being over 6,000 laws. And we see this happen all the time in religion and um, all religions, really, especially in Christianity. And I think it's a wrong practice. What it does is it creates a system of sin management, where we feel like we have to do all, you know, keep ourselves from all these sins. And in, in order to keep ourselves from these sins, we need to create all these other rules to keep ourselves from these sins. And then breaking those rules ends up making us think that we've fallen out of God's good graces or something. And ultimately, we end up with a religion of good works rather than a relationship of love and grace with God. So that is a significant truth here from Genesis chapter 3. We see it all the way through Scripture. We see it in our own lives, in our own practice of Christianity today. So having sort of caught her in trying to add to the law, the, the, the command of God, the serpent is now able to tempt her further, because if he can get her to touch the fruit, right, which is not something God said, she's not going to die as a result, and so maybe... The serpent can then get her to eat the fruit, which is what God actually forbade Adam from doing. So, uh, again, that shows the problem with adding fences around the law. You you pass the fence, you pass the man-made rule, you break that, and when the consequence doesn't occur, you think, okay, well, then maybe God was lying about what he told me actually, what he actually told me not to do. So, um, that, that's what the serpent sort of does in 3-4. He pounces on Eve, and, and Eve, not Eve, he pounces on Eve's explanation for what's going on and enabled um, to, to, to raise doubt in her mind about the character of God, the goodness of God. And so in verse 5, what the serpent does is, is he adds a mixture of truth and error. The serpent says, you know, God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. And this is a very true, there's nothing, there's no lie here about what the serpent is saying in verse 5. It's truth. What the serpent says is truth. And this is usually always what happens with the temptations from from the Satan, from from the devil. uh, There's always a mixture of truth and error, of, of lie and truth. And so, um... That, that's what is, is going on here in verse 5. And so verse 6, the, the woman, she looks at the fruit. She takes it. When she takes it, she realizes she doesn't die, and so she eats. And then at the end of verse 6, we see that she gives some to Adam also, who is there with her. And what we see in verse 6 is sort of the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. I, I have preached sermons on this. All temptations really come in three verse, various sorts. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, or the boasting of what one has and does. And I have sermons on that, which you can read more about that. Uh, Jesus underwent these temptations as well in Luke chapter 4. 
And uh, there's links in the show notes. You can go read or even listen to those sermons, which I preached uh, quite a while ago. In verse 7, then, just as the serpent said, the serpent did speak truth, they do, in fact, gain knowledge. First of all, they recognize that they are naked, and they decide that this is wrong, so they cover themselves up with fig leaves, and then that's sort of them trying to hide from one another, and then they also go and try to hide from God in the garden. They go hide in the forest. That's, that's verse, verse 8. Verse 9, God comes looking for them, and, you know, who told you you were naked? Why were you hiding? Uh, you know, that's verses 10 and 11, and then at the end, of, in verse 11, God says, hey, did you eat from that tree you were not supposed to eat from? God, of course, knows that they did eat from that tree, but he wants to see what Adam will say, and Adam, in verse 12, he says, oh yes, we ate from it, but the woman, she gave it to me, the, the woman you gave to me, so... He, he blames Eve, and, and in, in, the way, in the process of blaming Eve, Adam blames God. It's how we often respond when we are confronted with our sin. We blame other people. Of course, Eve then, she does the same thing. It wasn't me, it wasn't me, it was the serpent. He tricked me, that's why I ate. Again, she's blaming the serpent. Uh, And so, in verse 14 and following, God pronounces, he tells them the consequences of of what happened. He tells the serpent that he will crawl on the dust of the ground. He will be at enmity with the humans. Genesis 3.15 is often viewed as sort of the first prophecy about Jesus. The seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head, and the serpent will bite his heel. Very likely, truly, a prophecy about the coming Messiah. Uh, In verse 16, then God turns to the woman and tells her what the consequences will be. She will experience pain in childbearing. There will also be difficulties in the marriage relationship, uh, especially in the fact that uh, her desire shall be for her husband and he shall rule over her. We see that often, very, very often in marriage relationships today. It's a negative thing that is described here, I believe, this conflict in marital relationships. Uh, And then in verses 17 and 19, God turns to the man and tells him what the consequences will be, and it's that he will, uh, his his work in the ground will become exceedingly more difficult, and ultimately he will return to the dust from which he was created. Verse 20, Adam names his wife Eve. This is where she gets her official name, Eve, because she is going to be the mother of all living human beings. And then in verse 21, God makes clothes for Adam and Eve. Now, a lot of people think that there, this is the first sacrifice, that God actually kills an animal here. We'll talk when we get to this verse that I don't think that is exactly what's going on. You read the verse very carefully. It doesn't say anything about him killing an animal. We'll talk about that. Verses 22 and 24 through 24, then, this is the end of the chapter. God evicts them from the Garden of Eden places an angel there with a flaming sword at the entrance to the garden so they cannot get, get back in and eat from the tree of life. And we'll talk about those verses there too. A lot of people think this is a punishment that God is dealing out here, but I don't think so at all. I think it's a blessing. But uh, again, most people think that this is a punishment being meted out by God here. Uh, the bottom line truth from this, and that's Genesis 3. That, that's the, you know, you hear most sermons on Genesis 3, and, and they might go faster. 
I mean, they might go slower than that, you know, break it up into multiple sermons, or maybe they will preach the entire chapter in one 30- or 40-minute sermon or something like that. But those are the basic truths you're going to get. You pick up a commentary on Genesis 3, those are the basic truths. But the bottom line truth from this way of reading Genesis 3 is that, uh, you know, we've been dealing with these consequences. This is what happened to the first couple way back in the Garden of Eden, and we've been dealing with the consequences of their choices ever since. But Jesus, Genesis 3.15, has come along, set everything straight, and eventually the world will be remade, and we will turn return once again, you know, as we read in Revelation, new heavens and new earth, lying, laying down with the Lamb, and all this stuff, and, and things will be returned once again to the way it was supposed to be. And look, I have no problems with that sort of explanation. Now, I do have problems, by the way, with talking about, from Genesis 3, sin, the curse, and the fall of humanity. I tried, and I might have messed up as I went through that explanation just by force of habit, but I tried very hard to make sure, as I was explaining, quickly explaining Genesis 3 there, that I never mentioned sin, curse, or the fall. And why did I not mention those? Because Genesis 3 doesn't mention those. Usually when most pastors, teachers, explain Genesis 3, in fact, when I've done it myself in the past, there's a lot of emphasis in Genesis 3 on sin. They sinned when they ate from the tree. They sinned, they sinned. And a lot of emphasis on curse. God comes along and he curses them with this and he curses them with that. And then all this talk about the fall into sin and how the fall, we've been suffering the consequences of the fall. Look, I'm going to do my best. I tried today. Again, I might have messed up, but I'm going to do my best in the future when I'm explaining Genesis 3 to to make sure that I never use those terms as I teach through Genesis 3. And it's partly because Genesis 3 never uses those terms, but also for theological reasons, which again, I will explain as we work our way through Genesis 3 in future episodes. The bottom line is that the summary of Genesis 3 I provide it. It's not exactly wrong. I've taught it myself that way in the past and numerous times. God did give a command not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The serpent did lead Adam and Eve to eat from that tree. And it is true. We've been suffering the consequences. Even though I'm not going to talk about sin, I am going to talk about consequences. We've been suffering those consequences ever since. And and what God comes along and tells the serpent, tells the woman, tells the man, those are the consequences. And it is also true that Jesus is setting all of this straight. All right? And that is the usual message from Genesis chapter 3. It's the correct message. I have no real problem with it. I just don't think it's the main message. I don't think this traditional explanation of the text is what Moses was really trying to convey in the text. I don't think it's the point of the text. So we're going to take a second look at Genesis 3. In future episodes, we will be going a little bit slower through through these verses, one verse at a time. That's the one verse podcast after all. And we will be analyzing them from a cultural, historical, theological perspective, and especially an anti-religious perspective. Again, I want to redeem scripture and theology from the shackles of religion. That's one of the things I try to do on my blog at redeeminggod.com and here on the One Verse podcast. So if you want to hear a lot more about these more significant truths from Genesis 3, make sure you join us next week as we pick up with a more careful and detailed look with Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. 
And also, if you want to sort of get a heads up on what some of those will be moving forward, make sure you subscribe to the Theology.fm podcast. You'll get some good insight into life and culture and scripture and God and even your very own self by listening to my interview, my discussion with Adam Erickson in next week's episode of Theology.fm. Join us next week. Pick back up Genesis 3.1 with the temptation of the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Yeah.